Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting live 
Tracking who we meet And call this liberty So 
if you're up in that uh, neck of the woods for the July 4th weekend, uh, try uh, going and visiting their Freedom Palooza there. Uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, several. Uh, I have uh, I have several folks that are going to be calling in tonight that uh, we want to get some information on. We have the uh, there are, uh, as far as I know, only uh, only three groups uh, in the uh, in the country that are putting on uh, running guns, and that's uh, that's where you have to uh, navigate a course, uh, say from uh, from three or four miles to seven miles long with shooting stations along the way. As far as I know, there's only three companies, uh, three groups in the United States that are doing this. And uh, and it's folks that uh, that are all friends that we all know. <clears throat> it started out with uh, Smokey Briggs down in West Texas doing the Pecos Running Gun of the Sun. And then uh, we've created some additional uh, events after that. My buddy Mark and I, Mr. Martinez and I, uh, created the uh, uh, Battle Road Running Gun, uh, four-and-a-half-mile looping trail with uh, eight to ten shooting stations and obstacles in between the stations. And uh, then our buddies uh, Daniel and Al up in in Oklahoma uh, have created the uh, uh, Pawnee Summer run and gun, and instead of me telling you about it, let's, uh, let's bring on one of the, uh, the founders of this uh, of this event, and that's Daniel. Daniel, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, man, good to hear your voice. Uh, Hi, hopefully I'll be, be heard. At the, at the run and gun. Uh yeah, Daniel, I heard you had a good one. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just said I'm sorry for missing your last run again. I heard you had a good one up there in April. Well, you don't have to be sorry because I'm this year's too. I haven't, uh, I didn't make it out of uh, out of here for either of the other ones because I had events both uh, weekends for Smokies and for y'all's. Uh, tell us. Uh, Give us a rundown, the information and stuff on uh, y'all's upcoming event, when it's going to be happening. It's, uh, what is it? It's, it's less than a month now, or right at a month. Uh, tell us uh, yeah, when it is, where it is, what y'all are doing. All right. It is Pawnee Running Gun. It is up there in Pawnee, Oklahoma, as the name might imply. It's up in north north central Oklahoma. And the Running Gun, it uh, consists of... Really, the, you have an option this year. You have either a 5K or a 10K trail. And you can choose. Uh, either way, you're going to have six shooting stations along the way to complete for both rifle and pistol. So you got to carry your rifle, your pistol, all your ammo for both that you're going to need for the whole course, all your water. It is basically a field-style shooting competition. Um, and it's just test the shooter skills in a variety of situations from, you know, close and fast type shooting, awkward positions to rifleman's quarter mile. We have a, we actually have a 500 yard stage. 
on a man wow. target. It's going to be a lot of fun, great way to test your skills and equipment. Um, the whole idea was just to uh, you know, have a, something for people to train for. Um, you know, like all the running guns out there, I think we all do it for similar reasons. You know, we want to you know, promote a little bit of physical fitness along with just mar- with marksmanship. Um, want to get people ready, you know, be mindful of the kind of equipment they're going to need if they really do need to uh, go into a Second Amendment situation and ultimately, you know, make like the, like our website says, we want to make people, uh, you know, make gun owners more effective defenders of life and liberty. Right, and listen, you, you brought up a good point, which is gives you something to train for. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, you you don't have to have anything to train for. You could just say, look, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to go train. But the reality is most of us don't do that. You know, most of us, yeah. There's always something else you got to do, or you know, or always something else going on. But this is—you're right. This is a good way to to cause yourself to train because when you show up at a uh, at one of these events, like the first time I showed up at the Pecos Running Gun, I had done any training, nothing, and uh, hit that uh, hit that like three mile mark, and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, you're out in the middle of the desert, up and down hills and everything else, broken terrain. It's a three-mile mark. And, and by the time you get through with it, uh, you're uh, you're pretty dusted off. At least I was. And, uh, mm-hmm. That's and, a real gut check. And that, yeah. that will give you a uh, a good, solid perspective on whether you need any training or not. And... Uh, and it will certainly serve uh, because I enjoy doing the, the running gun, and I'm uh, I'm either going to do, be doing mine or the others or whatever, and uh, and I certainly don't want to go through the agony that I went through the first one. So that's always in my mind when I'm thinking about something. All right, am I going to walk or am I going to drive, or am I going to uh, you know grab my ruck and stuff and 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 uh, do some uh, some training? But if I don't. I'm going to be hurting in just a few months. And, uh, yep, and uh, your so experience that, pretty much mirrored my my first uh, go around with running gun too. Now, now that you know, I've been out of shape for a while, I haven't done a lot of running, done a lot of shooting, but not a whole lot of it. Uh, while I'm out of breath, tired, exhausted, sore, sweaty, all that sort of thing, and it really changes the game when it comes to shooting. Absolutely, it um, does. Now a lot of people say, uh, and of course I. I I told uh, uh, I, I told folks the whole reason that uh, I started uh, the the battle load running gun is because I you know I'd done the uh, well for years I had uh, I've been talking to people about shooting and uh, we've had folks that uh, you know in the shooting industry and then uh, it crosses over into the prepping and stuff like that and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm in constant conversation with with a lot of folks in a lot of different uh, areas, and I always have people telling me, "Yeah, man, I just got this new rifle," and uh, or I've just got this uh, this backpack, or if something happens, I'm going to wear this. I'm going to wear these boots, and mm-hmm. I'm going to wear this uh, uh, this water system. I'm going to carry this rifle, you know, whatever stuff like that. And I'll yeah. ask them, I said, "Well, have you ever have you ever put all that stuff on and and tried moving around in it, or, or have you ever, uh, you know, given yourself uh, any kind of a physical 
test and then tried shooting after that? And the answer is always no. I mean, very seldom does anyone ever. Oh yeah, almost do always. Anything like that. I mean, whenever you go to shoot, you just you walk, or you drive to the range, very calmly drive to the range. You very calmly, you know, unpack your gear and go to the range, and you. You very you stand there and shoot. You never do anything, and you yeah, when you're at the range, position, especially yeah. at a public range, <laughs> yeah, you don't do anything crazy at the public ranges. You don't jump up and down or yell and scream or run around in circles. I'll get you thrown off the range. And yeah. uh, so, how do people really know uh, how they're gonna how they're gonna do when they add in physical uh, uh, when they add in any kind of physicality to the to their shooting program because yeah, exactly. uh, if you if you end up in a self defense situation, one of the things I guarantee you're going to get is an adrenaline dump, and there's really no way that you can uh, that you can simulate that uh, other than by giving yourself some type of physical exertion. I mean that will that will more closely approximate how you're going to do uh, in the event of some type of an adrenaline dump. You know, your hands are going to be shaky. You're going to lose fine motor skills. Uh, yeah. You're not going to be thinking quite as sharp, stuff like that. And it's all the same things that happen to you, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of physical exertion. So right. that will t- that will tell you, uh, or it will give you a better idea, anyway, of how you're going to do uh, if you need to make a shot at 250 or 500 uh and you're doing that shot at the 500 at the end of a uh, you know six mile of uh, a rapid six mile pace uh, because yeah. just standing there at the range and shooting uh, a quarter of a mile is a lot different than uh, than jogging or fast walking six miles to get to that point and having to rapidly get into position and uh, fire through that stage. It's a, those are two completely oh, different yeah. situations. It sure is. Yeah, it really makes you uh, sing to the level of your training. One reason we do and that is exactly to combine it with the running. Yeah. That's exactly what you do. A lot of people... I mean, you, you really uh, showed up. I, if you hadn't drilled on your mag changes, on uh, you know, your weapon manipulation and all that, that really shows up at these running guns when you're just exhausted and hot and sweaty and tired and sore. Yeah, Which exactly. Which is probably how people, you're going to be in, in real life if you ever have to go take care of business. Right, there's the, the phenomenon that uh, that I always see, that I always run up against, and you don't hear people don't say it that much, but I can tell that they think it, it, and that and that is that if something happens, I will rise to the occasion in order to <laughs> yeah. meet that challenge and 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 succeed or defeat, you know, whatever. And the answer is exactly what you said, and that is you you never rise to the occasion, a hundred percent of the time, you sink to the level of your training. And uh, there it is. And if your training isn't there, then your skills are just, they're not going to be there. That's just the way it is. And, yeah. and the thing about, uh, the other thing about this is that uh, people will, they will tell me, like I said all the time, they, I'm going to use this backpack or I'm going to use this mag carrier or I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use whatever, and uh, and that's great, except uh, if you've never used it before, and you don't know how it's gonna work, then that that's mm-hmm. gonna be a problem, uh, especially if you put that thing on that backpack on, and 
and you walk uh, 500 meters, 600 meters with it, and uh, next thing you know, you've got a nice little uh, wet uh, blister on your shoulder from it, and you've still got uh, five more miles to go, then that's mm-hmm. going to be a problem. And, uh, yeah, and it's the kind of thing you won't, you, you won't necessarily see from just putting it on and running around your kitchen or walking around your house in it. And right. Stuff you right. won't notice and, until uh, you actually get out in the field. Right, and there's plenty of other stuff like, uh, you know, like uh, once you got all your gear on, can you get to your your can you get to your uh, uh, your mag carriers? You know, uh, mm-hmm. this is all. Uh, and how quickly can you do it? This is all you got to figure out. <laughs> well, right. give us the uh, give us the uh, the date for it. Going to be on July 19th at 8 o'clock in the morning. We're going to get started. Well, we want everybody out there by uh, 8 o'clock and get uh, get the event going by 9. The okay. website for the event. Uh, go ahead and tell you that. Uh, anybody who's listening can go ahead and plug it in and pull up what I'm talking about here. Website is www.okrunningun.com. That's r-u-n-n-g-u-n.com. And uh, how much is it, and what do the folks need? Uh, $65 entry fee plus some registration fees if you do it online with with our uh, PayPal. Um, On the bare minimum for what you need, uh, a rifle, a safe rifle, center fire, safe center fire pistol, enough ammo to complete the course, which... uh, We'd probably recommend at least a hundred rounds rifle, maybe fifty rounds pistol, kind of depending. And some of that's going to depend on your strategy. You know, there's some there's one one stage in there where you can use either rifle or pistol or any combination of the two you want. So that might uh, to you how much you want to carry. Um, of course, we highly recommend carrying water, being that this is Oklahoma in July. Last time we did a summer run again, it was you know 105 degrees. I was going to say the the summer there in Oklahoma. That's uh, those are pretty mild, right? I mean, you might need a sweater. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> that's the thing. Oklahoma is unpredictable. It's really our our weather pattern is unpredictable. But uh, right. yeah, the, July, uh, the July is gonna... about as predictable as it, as it gets in Oklahoma. It's pretty reliably going to be 90s and 100s, hundreds of degrees all month. So. Right, and uh, that's about the way it is here, too. I mean, we get uh, once you get into uh, July, you know, it's going to be it's definitely going to be above 100 degrees. There's not going to be any breeze, uh, no rain, uh, no clouds, and uh, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's going to be. So, yeah, well, the folks get a uh, they get a meal and a t shirt on their registration. What kind of what kind of food are y'all serving this year? Oh, we're probably going to do some uh, hot dogs, all the fixings. Okay, that's what we usually do. We'll do we usually do hot dogs and chili, and then we got the other stuff to go with it, chips and and jalapenos yeah. and olives and stuff like that. You know, some yeah, uh, you know, apples, cookies, things like that to go with it. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what we're going to be having. 
So yeah, the $65 gets you a ticket to the run, your choice of either 5K or 10K. They're both the same price. Um, chips, I mean, you know, a meal, which we'll be serving food all day long there at the finish line area, start and finish line. And then a T-shirt with our famous okay. uh, Blood, Sweat, and Bullets running gun logo outfit together for us here. Okay. And uh, once again, the guys, the the website is okrungun, that's O-K-R-U-N-N-G-U-N, at gmail.com. Yep. And uh, there's a Facebook page, which is O-K-R-U-N-N-G-U-N, all right? So if you guys want to yep. get on the Facebook page, it's R-U-N-N-G-U-N. You search for Oklahoma Running Gun there on Facebook or, you know, check out my profile. I'm Daniel Hinch on there. And, uh, all right. and then uh, I'll be linked to it. And uh, if they need any more information, www.okrungun.com. You can get uh, more information on it, the location, uh, uh, the contact information for Daniel and Al, and uh, they've got the course of fire photos and videos from the uh, previous event scores of the folks. Uh, they've got a uh, a link here for you to sign up straight from the page, and uh, and then they've got the other running gun events uh, also listed. <laughs> so. Be sure and uh, give these guys a uh, uh, give the website a look, and then think about uh, heading up there. I'm sort of going to try and get up there. I've got uh, my only problem is that this time of the year is the year that uh, my family goes to New York. We usually all go up there, but I got a litter of puppies that I'm going to have to babysit now. And it all depends on whether I can get somebody to watch the dog and puppies for me while I dash up there real quick. But uh, I hope to be up there. We'd love to have you. Take the the event. I still got. I was looking at a photo uh, day before yesterday. I'm I'm just about finished with and ready to uh, to spin up our new website. And I've got some photos on there. One of them is of you uh, from Uh. year before last when. when we were doing the event, or maybe it was maybe it was from two years ago, I can't remember, uh, or from three, three events ago. But uh, I was doing the I was doing the running gun, but I wasn't really paying attention to how fast I was going. I was trying to get a whole bunch of pictures for the other website, and uh, uh-huh. and I managed to take uh, during my my four and a half miles there. I managed to take almost seven hundred pictures uh, <laughs> along the way. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I got a good picture of you. Yeah, I got a good picture of you coming out from behind me, and uh, then standing right beside me, and then going right past me. Yeah, and I believe if you look on our Facebook website for Oklahoma Running Guy, I think that picture is actually one that I used for for uh, oh for our little cover sheet or something on there. So it was a good one. All right, well listen, uh, feel free. To, uh, to to keep calling in between now and uh, the event, which is, uh, let's see. July 19th, about it's just five right weeks over, out. Yeah, right over a month, July 19th. So yeah. feel free to keep calling in between now and then, and we'll get you on the air each time to uh, 
remind folks that it's coming up and get them the information on how to get uh, in contact with you. Great. I appreciate it. I hope to see uh, all your listeners out there. I know a lot of Appleseed people listen to your show. And, man, this is a great place. You know, you got those field positions down. I mean, you're, you know, Appleseed's about field-style shooting. Well, that's exactly running gun. It's just kind of taking that to the next level. You know, if you really want to be ready for you know, for field-style shooting, you need to have gear to carry your ammo, all your weapons. Um, and you, you need to be, able, be prepared for uh, a little bit of physical exertion, too, instead of just shooting for stationary positions. So. Hey, Ray, before you go, though, i got somebody else on the phone that uh, wants to say hi. Hey, Mark. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. Hey, guys, this is uh, Mark Martinez. He's my, my business partner. Let me make that clear. I'm married. He's my business partner, and uh, and he and I are uh, are the uh, are the, the we developed the Battle Road Running Gun, but all, the whole group of us all got started with uh, Smoky Briggs out in West Texas at the Pecos Running Gun, and uh, Godfather Running and, Gun Smoky. Yep. And then uh, Daniel's on the phone here with us, Mark. He just gave us the spiel, but I wanted you to be able to say hi to him. Hey, great. You know, uh, I called, you picked up on the first ring, and uh, I caught the last tail end of that, and I'm thinking, that sure does sound like the henchman. So uh, uh-huh. glad you're here, Daniel. Hey, and, good to uh, hear Mark. Hey, yeah, you know, Mike and I have been talking about you for a while, or y'all's run up there, and uh, really excited about it. I don't know what y'all have covered. Like I said, I just got a hold of the show, but quickly I'll say I've made one Oklahoma running gun, which was a great uh, – challenge it was a lot of fun and uh, you're up there with good people and uh time I, I really wish i could but uh, it's a long drive from down there by houston do what now so it's a long drive for you down there by houston area oh yeah yeah it, it is uh but i'm hoping to make the next one but and i can't wait to get up there again especially talk to uh al al's always a hoot but i'm oh, letting yeah. everybody know up there I've got a lot of friends, uh, especially on some forums, and they always say, hey, you know, Texas is way down there. It's a long drive. Well, now I've been telling them, well, hey, you don't have to go all the way down to Texas. I'd like you to come to ours, but if you just can't do it, we've got a place up in Oklahoma, and some good friends of ours have the Oklahoma running gun, so we've been spreading the word for you, too. Hey, man, I appreciate uh, that. that We always tell people about you guys and Smokey. And I'll I'll say this. if you can't make it this summer, we do these twice a year now. Uh, we did one in January, and that's what we're planning to do from here on out to uh, July and January. This is the summer running gun. We also do the winter running gun in January. That's, that's right. Good I was idea. telling me about that. That's a good idea. And we do, you know, basically the uh, we do basically close to the same thing. We've got our uh, mm-hmm. spring event, and then we've got the fall event. We've got one in uh, April and one in October. And, uh, yeah, so between all between us two, we got uh, spring, summer, fall, and winter all covered. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I said at the beginning of the show that we're the, the Pecos. Yeah, as far Pecos as I know, we're the only done. folks that are doing this. Yeah, as far as I know, too. You know, I tell folks that all the time. There's three biathlons that I know of. Uh, are two of them in Texas, one of them in Oklahoma, and that's pretty much it. And then if you look at all the crazy gun laws throughout the world, we're probably about the only three in the world who are putting on these things for private citizens. Yeah, man. Right. I, I really don't see it happening in any, any other country in the world, maybe not even some states here in, in this country. Right. 
So it's a really neat thing we have going on, and uh, I hope it continues to grow, and uh, maybe some other folks out there will come out and go to one of ours, and they'll have uh-huh. some land or know somebody, and, man, we can have another one, or, you know, they can have another one in some other state and, and get this thing going. Yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, it's, that's exactly how I got yeah. into it. I think that's how y'all did, too. We, we showed up to Smokey's deal, and so this is this is too good. we got to bring this back to Oklahoma, you yeah? know? Yeah, we uh, – isn't it? It'd be nice to have a, uh, you know, a, a full national circuit, you know, that where you could, uh, you know, you could just kind of go to the different uh, running guns around the country, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like they have three gun now. I think it'd be, yeah. it's a great way for folks to do, to, to make sure that you have all three uh, of the areas covered that you, that you need to have uh, mm-hmm. in order for you to survive some type of physical, uh, you know, shooting type encounter to keep your body uh, in good shape and stuff like that, and that is making sure that your stamina, your shooting skills, and your gear uh, are all uh, up to speed in order for you to be a success at this. You know, they got three guns. And listen, there's nothing wrong with three guns. I'm not a three-gun person as far as, as far as participating, participating in events like that. Now, Mark has. Mark's done quite a few three guns, and, uh, mm-hmm. and he usually does really well in them. The only thing I would say about three guns <laughs> Is that uh, is that you may not have the ability to push your shopping cart up to some kind of uh, some kind of situation, uh, you know? Baby if, if it really yeah. is the end of the world of zombies, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's not but, quite. I mean, it. Yeah, you know, it's a lot, a lot of good. Uh, good aspects to it, but it's really in field style in that you're carrying everything you need for every stage. I mean, three gun, you prep before the stage. The stage lasts no more than a few minutes at most, and you know, you're back to back to the equipment line, you know, you can get ready for the next stage. Well, real yeah, world work that way. We, so. No, we didn't bring up about that. Uh, I mean, you did at the beginning, but I don't think people understand it. that uh, whenever you do, when you do one of our uh, biathlons, any of the three that are currently running, the uh, uh, Pecos running gun, uh, the Battle Road, or the, o- the Pawnee or Oklahoma running gun. They they carry the, basically the same set of rules, and that is uh, once you once you cross over that starting line, that's it. You don't get you don't get to stop. You don't get uh, anything, any help from anybody uh, as far as uh, any extra food or ammunition or anything like that. You everything that you have on you is what you're going to be needing to. Uh, to successfully complete the event at the starting line, to the finish line, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know how you guys run it. Mark has gotten pretty, uh, pretty draconian here. He has, uh, <laughs> uh, he has penalties all I think all the way from like a, uh, like a 30-minute penalty all the way to like severe beatings and stuff for people <laughs> that uh, people that try and ask for water at a station or something like that. No, yeah, I think, well, for us, that he, you know, if you, did, you have to take take help for medical reasons, we'll you know we'll uh, you know drag your sorry butt to some shade and stick an IV or some water in you or something, whatever we need to do. But if if you have to receive any help like that, we do disqualify you from the run portion of the event. You won't get right. a run score. Well, we yeah, we uh, always you know medical is a priority there. So yeah, I think all three of us are the same way. You know, there's no penalty for a uh, uh, if you help somebody who has a medical issue. If you have, but for those who do have a medical issue, yes, there's going to be a penalty. 
And, you know, like I said, yeah, some of the things, they seem a little stiff, but I know y'all's courses out there, ours is out there, and you have a darn good idea of what to expect. And we give you a lot of hints to it, and our email is all out there. And I do get a lot of questions from people. Hey, should I wear this? Do I need to take this? Is You know, am I really going to be running or whatever? And, you know, yes, yes. And, yeah, you might want to take that. Or, no, that's not necessary. You don't need that Rambo knife. You'll be okay without it. And, yeah. you know, you just, uh, if, if they're really curious, you know, they can make contact with us. Yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely available for questions. Uh, if anybody wants to... Give me a shout. My number's there on the website. Uh, we've repeated that several times, www.okrunninggun.com. You call me either myself or my buddy Al or the co-organizers. Uh, one thing I didn't mention about the shoot, um, we're talking about you know your, your disqualification things. Well, the, the way the shoot scored, the running gun is scored, uh, I think pretty similar to how you guys do yours. Uh, 50% of your score is based on your run time it takes to complete the entire course, and 50% is based on the combination of how well you shoot on all those stages, which is your time. It's it's based on how quickly you can complete each of those shooting stages. Right. So, you know, a marathon runner who can't hit the broadside of a barn is not going to win the event, and uh, some, you know, high-speed pistolero who's going to walk the course isn't going to win the event. You have to be well-rounded and uh, be able to move, and you're going to have to be able to shoot fairly decent. And Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a right. good, uh, fair scoring system. Yeah, I think it is. Right. It worked out well for us. Um, and another thing, I mean, yeah, you don't have to be a super marathon runner to come out here and, and get something out of this. I mean, don't be... Don't be intimidated. I mean, really, when I run these, personally, I'm not really competing against anybody but myself. I mean, I like to place, things like that, but I, I'm mainly there to see how I do, how I handle the situation. Uh, if there's any weak points in my gear, in my training, in my you know, my physique or anything like that. And, uh, you know, if you, can, if you can safely walk about three miles in outdoor conditions, you know, or carrying a little bit of weight, you can do this course. I mean... You don't, don't think you have to be in super top shape or, you know, don't not come because you, you think, well, I, w- I want to be in my top running shape before I do. No, no, that's not what it's about. Come out and see how you handle it right now. You know, if the balloon went up right now, you know, how would you handle the situation? Right, and, you know, I don't know about you, Daniel, but I've uh, over the last year or so I've been getting emails from and some friends I know, uh, mutual friends of ours, who told me right at the very beginning, before we even had the zombie thing, uh, when we're all going to Pecos, they would just flat out say, hey, look, running is not my thing. You know, I want to go mm-hmm. shoot. I love shooting, but I, I'm not about running. But then they end mm-hmm. up going to Pecos, and they'll go to ours. And right. uh, after a while, I start hearing them say, hey, you know what? That was kind of cool, man. Next year, I think I'm going to jog a little bit, but I'm going to walk some, and, and you know, I'm going to try to do more and more. And right now, I have one guy calling me, telling me about his workout regimen and, and how he's preparing for this thing, whereas he was one of the guys who told me, man, I'm, you know, no offense, but I ain't running. That's just not for me. You know, that's not why I have a gun. And they come out to one of these things, and and it's, and it's taken off. They, like I said, it's addicting. It's great. And that's one of the, you know, benefits of it is, you know, get off that darn couch and walk a little bit and, and see how mm-hmm. your gear fits. And, you, you know, you yeah, I mean, if shooting is just like a hobby for you. If it's like the same as golf, you know, you go out there and you do it for fun, that's great. But, I mean, a lot of us, you know, definitely myself included, you know, think it's a little bit more serious than that. We want to be prepared for 
whatever, you know, for a second amendment situation, right? That's There's a purpose behind that. There's a very serious purpose to, for most of us. And really, you know, if you think about, you know, kind of harkening to Appleseed, you know, those guys in 1775 and Lexington and Concord, when they they pulled the circle of fire from, you know, Concord all, all the way back to, or, you know, Lexington all the way back to Boston on those red coats. I mean, that was, actually took a good bit of physical exertion. Those guys couldn't have been, you know, fat slobs to pull that kind of thing off. I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's, there's, I mean, you don't, like I said, you don't need to be a super marathon runner to do this, but, you know, you, you definitely, you know, you, it's a little bit of a gut check if you haven't, done any anything any physical activity at all other than getting up and shooting from stationary positions. Right. So like I said, right. kind of taking things one step further than Appleseed. So it's a great next step for that to apply those skills in a little more you know, demanding situation. Absolutely. And you, yeah. you know, Mike and I when we were talking about ours from the beginning and we're just in the planning stages and we start coming out this really crazy high pistol round count one of the reasons we came up with our round count because, you know, we put on shooting schools as well, and we'd have our, our good friends come over and folks, and, and um, thank goodness they they talk about prepping and such, and we'd get off into shooting, and they'd be constantly reloading. And so we'd just hurry up, just go ahead and reload all your mags. Well, we'll only have the two mags that came with a gun. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Mike and I started saying, hey, you know what? I don't think folks are getting this, man, you know. You need magazines. You need lots of magazines. You need ammo. You got, you got to have this stuff because ammo goes really yeah. fast if you're shooting. And uh, and as we know, in political situations, when, when you know unfortunate events happen, that stuff goes off the shelf, and then you're stuck like Chuck. You can't find magazines, mm-hmm. or they're a hundred dollars a pop if you can find them. And and right now, buy your equipment, buy your ammunition, yes, buy your magazines. There's sales right now for Father's Day where, you know, I think PMAGs are down to eight and a half dollars. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, go ahead and get, it's not going to get any better than this right here. Yeah. So, yeah, so, absolutely. We've got, uh, we've got, and that's one of the things that we're talking about tonight uh, on the show, and that is uh, that that we're facing a lot of potential uh, uh, potential horrible disasters. Now that's nothing new. Not like uh, this is the first time. I mean, our nation uh, and, and every nation uh, on the earth has, uh, since the beginning of time, has always been. You know, there's always been something looming in the future. But uh, but sometimes it gets to be more dangerous than other times. And right now we're in one of those periods. We're in one of those periods where it is more dangerous other times. Uh, and uh, that's some of the things I want to talk about tonight because we've got uh, we've got a tremendously uh, – we've got absolute disaster hanging over our heads financially. Uh, and and if that happens, I'm sitting here looking at the debt clock. If you go to uh, – uh, www.usdebtclock.org. They got a real-time clock there, and it uh, and it's constantly moving up as far as uh, as all of the figures about of what we owe and stuff like that. It has like the national debt <clears throat> right now is sitting at 17 trillion, but that's hmm. being added to with uh, uh, with what with what we're spending and with interest and stuff like that. 
uh, it's being added to at the rate of about $20,000 or so per second. And every second that goes by, there's an additional wow. $20,000 added to our debt. Uh, you can go down to the uh, one of the lower columns, which is the U.S. total debt. And uh, Well, first let me go back up to the national debt. The national debt, <clears throat> you have a... Uh, you have it chopped out as far as debt per a citizen, and it's not everybody's not paying it, but they're just saying if you split it up, that would mean that each one of us owed $55,093. If you split it up as far as the debt that each taxpayer owes, that's the folks that are actually paying into the government, uh, each taxpayer in America owes $151,000 right now, and I think that a lot of Americans don't understand when we talk about, because they hear the words national debt, government debt, stuff like that, they say, well, man, our government better start doing something because they owe money. They better get their act mm-hmm. together. Yeah, but listen, man, it's not their money. It's not their money. It's not like the government, the guys in Washington owe the debt. That's you, the American citizens. We're the yeah. ones that are that are on the, the hook They're for all- this. We're the ones that are going to have to pay, not the government. They're not going to have to pay a dime because they don't have a dime. The government has no way to make money except by taking it from the citizens at the point of a gun. And that's what they do. Yeah, pretty and simple concept. The, surprising how many yeah. people don't get that. <laughs> now, the the U.S. total debt, that's, uh, that's when you take the debt that's owed by the government services and you add it to the debt that is owed by, like, the businesses and the households and stuff like that, that's an unbelievable number. Up to now, for that number, we're up to $62 trillion. $62 trillion. Uh, The debt for a citizen, when you chop it out, is $194,000. Now, the families, if you take the U.S. total debt and you chop that up, every American family owes uh, $760,000. If they were going to pay this off, every American family would have to pony that up. Now, how much does every American family have in the bank? To $4,729. So it's going to be <laughs> a little bit hard to pay off that, uh, that three-quarters of a million with that with that $4,500 you got in the bank. Now, yeah. the, here here is the big... Uh, disaster that's looming over our heads right now, and that is uh, currency and credit derivatives. That is how the banks and Wall Street and everybody else, they have their their shell and pee games going, and they are, they are, it's like a big casino. You're gambling on how much something might make, uh, uh, and that number... Get ready for this. The currency and credit derivatives right now that uh, are stretched out by the banks and Wall Street and everybody across the world is $727 trillion. $727 trillion. And the interest on that is about, uh, uh, it looks like it is about 4 to $5 million dollars per second. I mean, every four or five, uh, every second, you're adding another $5 million uh, on interest and on uh, to extended payments on that. 
the U.S. debt held by foreign countries is uh, approximately uh, $6 trillion. And uh, yeah. the, the U.S. trade deficit altogether is uh, $689 uh, $689 million. The trade deficit, I mean billion, $689 billion. The U.S. trade deficit just with China is $318 billion. Now that means that we're talking about the money flowing away from us, not to us, but the money flowing away from us. Yeah, really, that's about the only thing that's propped this whole thing up at this point is that the the willingness of foreigners to still accept our debt, right? Right. Now that, right. Well, here's the thing: is that once that uh, stops, well, well, we and the United States plays uh, pretty hardcore, hardball games with that. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as going into other countries and absolutely forcing them uh, to buy. Uh, derivatives or to buy or to uh, accept U.S. debt, uh, they will go into another country and they will uh, blackmail them or just hardball them and say, we're going to shut down. Uh, let's see, just recently, what did they do with uh, the uh, the banana uh, blockade? They're going to uh, shut off the importation of uh, bananas, I think, from uh, uh uh, I'm looking at the clock, and I, uh, anyway, they went to another country there in South America and said, "If you don't, if if you don't buy this debt from us, then we're going to stop the importation of bananas, which is their their main export." And uh, so they did. They bought the debt. Well, the debt went south, caused their economy to crumble. The Indians came out of the mountains and burned their capital to the ground, uh, and this just recently. And this is the way that we do all of the uh, the rest of the folks in the world. Uh, We are by far uh, a kind business trading partner. We are rough on everybody, and uh, we don't make friends that way. And uh, the financial game that we're playing right now is, I think, is one of the worst threats to America. And that is that at any moment, this thing could go south. And when it does, uh, it's not like the world ends, but it would be uh, just like the folks faced in the 30s with the Great Depression. Some big changes. Big changes. If you want to, uh, you want to buy a loaf of bread, and the loaf of bread is uh, you know eight hundred dollars, or you know they were, uh, uh, you know during the uh, Depression in Germany. You see the pictures of those folks. They had to have they had a wheelbarrow to take the currency to the grocery store to uh, to buy their uh, groceries with. Uh, it sounds like uh, it, like it's impossible. Like something like that could never happen, but it it, it can. And unless something changes, I can almost and, guarantee well, you it's going to. It, it reminds me of something a smart guy named. Uh, Named uh, Greg Swan said, "If something can't go on forever, it won't." I mean, it's just part of the nature of reality, you know. <laughs> that is no a hard there. thing to. 
it's a hard thing to beat. If it can't go on forever, it won't. Or spin yeah, it won't. And what are the consequences of it not? Because, I mean, I think it's pretty clear to anyone who's even halfway awake about this issue, it, it can't go on forever. There's no way people are going to keep accepting our debt and with it increasing at these levels. So what's going to happen when it doesn't? Because, I mean, it's virtually guaranteed to. There's no no turning back. There's no way anyone, like you said, could afford to even pay a fraction of this. What What's going to happen? Yeah. Well, well, right now, I think a lot of the countries, and especially the United States, uh, you know, they've gotten, they've, they've been throwing around this concept of too big to fail, too big to fail, and that has allowed them to, uh, or, or caused them to prop up these banks, these car companies, these airline industries, saying, look, we can't afford, they're too big to fail, we yeah. can't allow them to fail. Why not? Prop up Why them and their we? failed practices. <laughs> if, if their business practice isn't working, then why are we artificially uh, propping it up? Why don't we instead uh, allow that failure and allow the other companies who have better uh, business models to come in, uh, take over the that share of the industry, and uh, and work out a better system? Now, certainly, it it, it would cause a lot of uh, chaos and confusion, but. <laughs> But the stuff that's going on right now are just temporary fixes. Uh, well, and that's the thing, too. They always, they always claim to have, say that, well, look at the success of this program, right? We bailed out Chrysler back in the 80s or whatever it was, and they're back on their feet now. They're, they're a good company. Oh, we bailed out GM. They've, they've now paid off all the debt they've owed. So it was a job well done. Well, they never look at the opportunity cost. And it, it kind of puts us in a hard place as you know, advocates for liberty, for saying that, well, trying to prove a negative, to say that, well, you know, what would have happened if you hadn't bailed them out? And, I mean, everything we know about economics would tend to suggest that capital would have flown to someone who manages it better, more efficiently. But, you know, it's, it's, they, they always want to distract from, you know, the untold wealth that could have been created by focusing right. on, oh, well, we kept this company alive, so that's a, that's a win, right? Well, when really, you know, there's no telling how much damage is being done to the economy by keeping these failed companies in business. There's just no, no, right. no telling and because it never was allowed to happen. And the the same model is being applied to our nation as a whole. They're saying that the uh, the foreign companies who are holding our debt right now, they're saying to them, "Well, look, you you have to keep buying our debt because if you don't." then the U.S. will fail. And if the U.S. economy fails, then uh, then we can't pay you back. And uh, so you've got to keep doing it. So it's almost like this smug uh, idea that uh, you have to keep, uh, you know, it's like, uh, like some sorry uh, kid telling their parents, look, you have to keep uh, paying me to be good. Because if you don't, well, I'm just going to start being bad. And uh, how are you like that? Well, it's going to work for a while until finally the parent says, you know what, be bad, go to jail, go to prison, whatever, I'm done. And the same thing is going to happen with the folks, with these, uh, the foreign investors stuff that are holding our debt. At some point, yeah. they're going to say, you know what, uh, you know, yeah, we're going to lose a trillion dollars, absolutely. But we're just going to cut our losses, we're going to lose that trillion, we're going to develop other trading partners, and you guys are going to sink to the bottom of the heap, and we will. 
Now, yeah. and when we do, we're going to pull almost every other nation who has anything to do with us, we're going to pull them down with us. And, uh, and it's going to be our fault, and that's how everybody around the world is going to see it. America pulled them down with it. That's one thing that, that I think that Americans are very, uh, are very poor at, and that's understanding. In America, you never, uh, nobody knows anything about any other country. They don't know the history of any other countries. They don't know what's going on currently in any other countries. Hell, they don't even know where most of the countries are. Mm-hmm. But if you look at yourself in their shoes and think about, well, what would things be like if someone did this type of thing to me? How would I react, right? Right. If you look at what happened to the rest of the countries around the world, when the when the United States went into its depression, it pulled everybody down the tubes with them. I mean, everybody. Everybody sank with us. Uh, mm-hmm. You could probably even say that, that uh, that's one of the reasons that World War II came about and Hitler got in power. Whatever Germany oh, yeah, economy We had a lot better than almost anybody, really. I mean, we, our economy is still in better shape. And right, uh, you know, when we went world to the Great Depression, we pulled everybody with us. That that pulled the Weimar Republic down in, and uh, and Hitler eventually climbed to the top out of that mess. Now, mm-hmm. everybody that is connected to us is going to go down the drains with us, uh, but we're not going to care about that because we're going to be too busy here trying to figure out how we're going to get a loaf or feed our families, uh, how to keep the banks from taking our properties, because if you look at the uh, the history of uh, the financial history of the country uh, in the during the Great Depression and stuff like that, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that nobody had a job. That did not stop the bank from saying, "All right, we're going to come and take your property." They did. They came and took your property. So if you can't make payments, even during some kind of a global uh, disaster like that. They're still going to come take your property. They're still going to foreclose on your home. Uh, mm-hmm. So so you have to be thinking about the fact that this could happen. And, of course, uh, I'm not going to say Americans are bad at this because it's humans uh, around the world. People don't like to make changes. They don't like to do things until they're forced to. And, and they won't make changes until some – some something causes them to uh, to make those changes. You know, some kind of disaster happens or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that uh, that we won't do a lot until something happens. And I think that uh, what you said earlier, I think, is going to best sum up the direction we're heading. We're heading, which is, if something can't go on forever, then it won't. And I don't Very see. Well. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that little quote, but here. <laughs> Well, we know that the financial, the direction we're going financially cannot go on forever. It can't. So what's mm-hmm. going to happen uh, when, we, when we hit that wall? Uh, and I tell folks, uh, I'm constantly telling folks that they should be doing everything they can uh, right now. And you don't have to do it on, in a, you don't have to go down right now and, and, and spend uh, 5000 or $10,000 buying stuff, uh, you know, prepping stuff, 
but you should be on a program where you're doing it every day, where you're buying a little bit of extra food every day, where you're buying a little bit of uh, extra gear, extra stuff that will that will help get you through hard times every day. It may not be the there may not be some great uh, nationwide financial disaster. Maybe we'll maybe we will figure out something between now and then. But it can, you can absolutely bet that at some time during your life you'll face something. You'll face three days of ice. You'll face uh, a tornado or a hurricane, something. There's going to be something that's going to come up and jack with you. And you should be thinking about how you're going to get through those times. So I hope that I hope that people are. And of course, there's, there has been a uh, an upswing on the number of folks who uh, prepping has become more and more mainstream. You know, just a heck, just uh, five or six years ago, if you were to uh, if you were to talk to somebody and said, "Hey, I'm a I'm a prepper or I'm a survivalist," they would look at you and they would get a very uh, a worried or anxious look on their face, and and uh, you would be considered to be uh, you know a tinfoil hat person. Now, pretty much everybody uh, has heard of it and they understand the concept. They may not be applying it to themselves to their family, but they've certainly heard of it, and they certainly a lot of folks would like to do it. But the thing is, everybody can do it. Uh, you just got to yeah. get started, and uh, you can do it uh, a little bit every day. Now, there's also the the, uh, and we just saw a recent uh, uh, shockwave pass through the government uh, this week uh, with uh, Eric Cantor's uh, uh, unhorsing uh, from the uh, uh, from the uh, Tea Party candidate. I don't think anybody thought. Uh, I don't think any of the folks thought that that was going to happen, and yet it did. And I think that that sent a lot of shockwaves uh, through our government. Yeah. What we face now as a nation here is that our, our citizens and congressmen, our representatives, no longer represent us. They have become so isolated. They're living in a completely different reality than normal citizens are. Uh, most of them now yeah. are career politicians. I mean, they've been doing it most of their lives. A lot of them have never had a job. They've never had a real job. They've never had to uh, to do anything to support themselves other than uh, than in their current government jobs. They don't, they've never had to deal with the problems that the rest of us uh, have to deal with. Uh, Congress constantly passes laws that they exempt themselves from. The rest of us have to obey these laws, but they don't. They mm. uh, one of the one of the perfect examples is the is healthcare. Uh, they vote in uh, Obamacare for us, but they make sure to exempt themselves, and uh, and they're going to stay on a gold-plated government program, and uh, and the the folks, the reps that uh, serve their serve their uh, term. And they get a lifetime pension for it. Uh, to me, that this this is absolute madness. What oh, other yeah. job? Oh, what, other, what other career can you see where you could do, where you could do your uh, uh, your one term in office and get a lifetime pension from that? That's to me. That's like the the height of corruption. Yeah. Where, where else is such uh, conflict of interest tolerated? Yeah. <laughs> 
it's like you say. I mean, call it like it is. It's corruption when they do that. And when they bail out I think their it is friends, and there are people who have who've donated to them, and they, you know, force the the middle class and everyone else to bail them out. I mean, what else can you call that other than just blatant corruption? Right, and the uh, the list of violations and then actual crimes uh, that are occurring by members of Congress, senators, and stuff like that is growing and growing every day. These guys are, uh, in a lot of cases, actual criminals, and because of our two-party system, uh, the way that we have to look at it now, because there's just the two parties, this is the same two parties that uh, George Washington told us at the beginning of, the, of, the, of this uh, experiment that was going to be the death of our country. Uh, these guys have us in a catch-22. Uh, they say, yeah, you know what, uh, I, uh, technically, I should be in prison right now, but because I've got uh, my get-out-of-jail-free card here in Congress, I'm not going to be going to prison, and, you know, uh, uh, but you have to vote for me, because if you don't vote for me, then you're going to be voting for the other guy, and, and we can't do that. We must protect the party. So we're stuck mm-hmm. with these guys. We're stuck with. Uh, we're completely stuck with these with these criminals. And the only way yeah. out of this is to feed something good into the system. That is to make sure that you're that you're involved down the on the on the very uh, base level of it, and that you're helping to get the right guys into the system. That you're feeding the right guys into the system. So that in a few years, if they're, if they're heading up the, uh, you know, the uh, the ladder there, that you're going to end up with some good folks. But then we have the problem yeah. that uh, that the that the fact that they are in politics to begin with is corrupting them. So oh, absolutely. I'm That's not sure how this is going to get fixed. I mean, you say good folks. Well, where are all these good folks in politics? You know, they're they're very few and far between, if, if, you're, if you ask me. I mean, it, it usually boils down to a serial killer beauty contest, as, as some people sometimes describe it. So, I mean, really, the only thing I can see that's ever going to change any of this would be for people to change their minds about some very basic facts of life and to recognize some, just some, just some, uh, some things about the nature of reality. You know, the fact that, well, you can't, tax yourself out of into prosperity. You can't, uh, you know, become prosperous by destroying the wealth creators. It's just, and then ultimately, really, it's not in anyone's self-interest to initiate violence against another human being. It's If you can do it to someone else, then they can come and do it right back to you. And if you really perpetuate that type of system, it is not in anyone's self-interest. Right. Right, and that's another problem that we have when you're talking about uh, about violence. We have we have violence in America, but actually at uh, an almost a 50-year low in uh, in violence, and certainly in gun violence, gun homicides. But we have the increasing uh, militarization of our law enforcement agencies, the federal government, the 
all of these agencies, and we're talking about everybody from uh, the IRS, the ATF, uh, heck, even the uh, the postal uh, uh, oh, agencies. Yeah. And yeah, they got a SWAT team now. So does the Department of Education. You know, they're yeah, they're Department of a, Education. A <laughs> we, we're talking about uh, about the militarized SWAT teams for the Department of Education, and uh, who else was it? Somebody the other day, the uh, I think it was the federal, uh, the federal libraries uh, mm-hmm. had ended up even with the militarized uh, uh, agents uh, and the disregard they have for American citizens. Uh, it's becoming more and more of an us-versus-them system. <clears throat> and this is bad news because we saw a... Uh, we saw kind of an example of this just recently with the Bundy situation. Now, regardless of how you feel about Clive Bundy and his uh, battle with the government, what he owes or, what, or, or not, it doesn't matter what you think about him personally. The problem comes when you look at how it was handled. Uh, mm. When you have the federal agencies saying, okay, uh, everybody's going to have to shut up, we're going to create these little uh, areas to stand in. If yeah, you want to have your First Amendment rights, you have to stay in this little square over here. Uh, because now they're telling us where our rights exist and where they don't. Uh, and they are deploying uh, uh, helicopters and snipers and, and assault teams against a family of folks that uh, that we're, we're about as unmilitarized as, as you can imagine. Now, once this stuff began, yeah, then uh, then folks started gravitating to them, and, you, we, and we we saw what happened. It culminated with the the standoff there out uh, you know out in the middle of the desert, and finally with the uh, with the federal agents uh, backing down. Uh, and thank goodness they did, because what this is doing is creating a situation that's uh, a kind of a bizarre kind of dance, where the government will do something, and that causes a reaction by the citizens. And when the citizens mm-hmm. react in a certain way, the government says, well, we're going to have to go really hardcore now. We're going to have to do X, Y, and Z this time. Mm-hmm. So they do that, and the citizens become even more alarmed, now they're being the ante and preparing more, and what you have is a situation where the the government is training the citizens on how to resist, and this is a bad situation because at some point, at some point, something's going to happen. And how do we know this? Because we've seen it over and over through history. We saw exact. We saw this exact thing that happened in uh, 1775, and that is yeah, that the elements of the government. Huh? Yeah, yeah, the elements of the government and the citizens facing armed. Both armed. Both parties are armed, facing themselves, facing each other across a green, a town green. And what happened? None of the, neither one of those two groups shot at each other. It was somebody else that wasn't even connected to this that happened to fire off a pistol or musket 
and that started the ball rolling. And mm-hmm. and that's a problem that can happen. Anytime you do something like that, and once you and once the genie's out of the bag, it doesn't fit back into the bag. There's no way to get it back in. <laughs> we have to find some way to peacefully and lawfully fix the problems that we have because uh, we know that uh, and there's of course there's a lot of folks that uh, that are out there right now that are saying they wish that uh, they they wish that they could fix this uh, with a gun. Mm-hmm. And I would have to I'd have to say that the majority of those folks that are saying this have never been involved in any situation that was fixed with a gun. Because if you have been, then you understand how absolutely horrific it is, how much damage it was caused to the nation, how much sadness and pain that the last... Yeah, and how unlikely it is to wind up in your favor or with exactly the way you want it. Right. Right, and I think that uh, you know there was a movie a while back, The Patriot, with uh, with Mel Gibson, and uh, and I thought that he, I thought that he uh, voiced one of the concerns that I have about. It. I thought he voiced it pretty perfectly when he when they were talking about the revolt. And they said, "Well, we're gonna, you know, let's let's uh, become independent of England." And uh, he stood up and he looked at the folks and he goes. Please tell me why I would trade uh, 1,000 miles away for 5,000 tyrants one mile away. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And that's what, changing masters, that's what right? that's what I don't think that people understand that the system of government oh, yeah, that we have worked out right now is, is a great form of government. I mean, it is, it is a workable form of government. It just takes everybody... Uh, paying attention to it and and maintaining it for it to run like it's supposed to run. We just don't have we haven't had the involvement that it needs to ensure that the machine is running correctly. The last thing you want to do is try and uh, like they were talking about uh, have breaking away and we'll have uh, uh, you know sovereignty and stuff like that. They have the states break away and stuff like that. That may work, but it it, it can just as easily turn into a nightmare. Uh, for you in that situation, yeah. because it could, mean, it could yeah, easily having, end up with the five thousand tyrants. Yeah, it's yeah far from guaranteed that just because you get rid of one master, that the other one, the next one's going to be any better. I mean, I, I don't think it's really going to change. Like I said, I think the only thing that's really going to change is, is people's minds on a large enough scale. Which you know, we don't have to have a majority or anything, but people's minds changing enough to the idea that well. Why should I have a master? Why should I have someone else tell me how to run my life or what I can do with my own body, with my own mind, with my own the product of my own labor? I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to for me. When people just stop tolerating other people interfering with their business as long as they're not, you know, harming others, then yeah, we're going to keep having well, these problems. It's, it's, with the establishment of additional parties besides the the two party system, which is like a like we. Like we know for a fact, it doesn't work because in the end, you're only left with the two choices. That means that that it doesn't matter how bad the individual is, uh, 
because the country is so divided now in partisanship. It doesn't matter how bad your candidate is, uh, and if he actually should be in prison, which we know for a fact we've already had folks who have been elected regardless of the fact that they were going to prison or they were already in prison, uh, that that's the only candidate that you're left with. Uh, the And the answer to that is kind of slowly coming up. It's taken a long time. It's taken 25 years, but we see that the independents and the, and the Tea Party is starting to wake its, work its way forward. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I was listening to a blurb from Chris Matthews from MSNBC. The, uh, uh, he was talking about, uh, and this is from Matthews himself, saying they've got to stop uh, thinking about the Tea Party folks as insignificant. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that that was showed with, uh, with unseating of uh, Cantor. Uh, they, they're going to have to realize that, uh, that, that this third party is a significant party. And that's the only way that, that, that we're going to get ourselves out of this, out of the career of politicians and stuff like that, is by opening up the doors so that we have more options, that we're not stuck with just uh, the least horrible option. Uh, right. That we have, I think that we have folks that are coming in that, that want to be fiscally responsible. Well, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, the typical low-information voter really doesn't understand how this whole system really works. I mean, they say, we love democracy and we love the republic and all that. Well, and if they're really sophisticated, they might say it's a republic, right? But um, a lot of people, you know, they think they're doing their duty by going down and voting every second Tuesday in November or whatever it is. Well, all the big decisions are made for you by then. And I don't think people realize, I think, I mean, if you really got involved in the party system and saw how this actually worked, how these people are selected, and how how the uh, the, nomina- the nominations are made even for presidential offices or any other office, you really get an idea of why things are the way they are. I mean, they on the on the surface, it's yes, we get we get a, a, a choice, right? We get a choice, but so many of the choices are made behind the scenes, and they're made by the people who are, you know, actually willing to work hard and you know go to these, you know, all the conventions, all the uh, you know, get on these committees and the parties. Really, a lot of it's made within within the party structure. I mean, right. unless you Right. Gone to the all these conventions and seeing how it really works, you really have no idea what kind of government this country really has. Well, I, I think, think a lot of people will be really shocked by what they see in that system and just how, you know, how much nepotism and you know, plain corruption and violating their own rules you see even within the party. Well, well let's say, hey, Mark, uh, you just started the, uh, you just started this uh, this procedure by going down and you inserted yourself. Into the uh, into the procedure on the very bottom level. What do you have to say about what you found out so far? Well, you know, I I went to one and uh, what I learned was there, uh, six people showed up. So <laughs> and you know what can I say? That was my meeting? first one, and I'm I'm 46 years old. Yes, yeah, that's exactly that was it. So yeah. uh, it was all new to me. It went by pretty quick. Uh, Rachel from Texas. Firearms Freedom had some resolutions, and I uh, introduced two of them. Uh, one passed for ours, one didn't, but uh, it was a good experience. But when I started talking, 
when I started talking, uh, I think Daniel, out of everything we've been discussing for a while, y'all have, Daniel really hit it when he mentioned low information voters. I think that's our problem, whether we had a two-party system or a ten-party system. I th- I, what worries me is I think us, people who think like us, the thinking people maybe, are simply outnumbered. And, and, and there's also people out there who I've mentioned many times at some of the shoots we've gone, uh, that we've, when I've talked to before at some of our shoots, I've had people in my family who I, I hold near and dear, but they would vote for Joseph Stalin if he'd give them a gallon of milk and a block of cheese every month. That's the right. problem we have, and and yeah. you know how do you how do you I don't know how to say this nicely, but how do you fix stupid? And there's tons, yeah. there's millions of them out there, and they are outnumbering us. And that, right, that's and, you, that, and you see it all the time on the, on the comedy shows like uh, uh, like uh, Letterman and stuff like that, the late night shows where they do the their man on the street interviews and stuff like that, and everybody laughs at mm-hmm. it because it is funny. But at the same time, it is it's horrifying because <laughs> yes, it is. because the people don't know what's going on. If you can walk up to somebody on the street and get them to uh, get them to say they should sign a petition that uh, all of the folks who uh, have concealed carry licenses should be arrested and put in prison just based on the fact that they have those concealed carry licenses, and people start signing the petition, uh, then the and, – and, and they've done this with all kinds of things. Uh, they've asked people getting on the way to voting. They've asked them who they're going to vote for or who the vice president is. These people have no idea. They don't know who the vice president is going to – is uh, candidate, the vice presidential candidate is. They don't know – the laws are getting ready to vote for. Hell, even our own, uh, even our own representatives. And we've got the famous uh, quote from Nancy Pelosi: "Wolf, that we have to pass this into law before we can see what's in it." Right. <laughs> to me, that's that. This is the. It's a height of, of disaster. You know, we have that. There was that show, that movie, uh, that came out a few years ago. What was it? Uh, Idioc- idiocracy, wasn't that? Idiocracy, oh, I love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> and they were talking about, you know, it was a couple of hundred years in the future. The reality is, is I I, I know some of those people in that movie. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, some of them are my neighbors. Uh, we don't have to wait two hundred years. We've got the, the we've got the the low information folks already. And you're right. I think it's that's a horrible uh, problem. And the fact that uh, what you brought up, Mark, and that is that <clears throat> that, and of course that is one of the that was one of the signs or, or one of the ways that uh, that governments and countries come to an end, uh, and that is when the people of a nation understand the fact that they can vote themselves money, then that's basically the end of that nation because. If people say, hey, if I just vote for so-and-so, I don't have to work, I can get everything free, and then that's what uh-huh. that person well, runs on. Well, that's the on. problem right there. That's, I think, that's the end of it. I think ultimately it comes down to philosophy. I mean, the, it, it comes down to 
you know, the nature of reality once again. I mean, it's, it's is it possible to, you know, for for people to not work and just, you know, magically vote things into you know, all the all their necessaries for life into being by passing some laws? I mean, can you alter the nature of reality? You know, the fact that man has to have productive labor in order to have the goods necessary to sustain his survival. Can you change that fact by just passing a law or believing, really wishing something with someone? I mean, that's really the the type of philosophy it seems that most people in the world have, or at least they act that way. And when they do things like, you know, just plundering the, the producers or just trying to, you know, as you say, vote themselves into, you know, tax themselves into prosperity or you know, vote themselves the uh, largest of the treasury. Well, I mean, it's obvious. You look back at history and we say, well, that's the end of every country once that happens, right? Well, you'd think if people were rational, if they were had the least bit of, of uh, you know, self-interest, they wouldn't do that. But, you know, their self-interest is so narrow and so short-minded. I mean, just so such a good term to it. You know, hey, you know, like I said, I can, I can have a block of cheese tomorrow. You know, I can have that you know, that gallon of milk to feed my family. I don't think, what are the consequences of this? You know, at whose expense? Where does it come from? You know, who's who's going to produce it? See, where does it come from? Because that that's a, uh, if you ask a uh, hundred people uh, across the nation, especially in places like city, big cities and stuff like that, if you ask them about stuff like that, like, uh, do you think the government should... Uh, uh, should pay this or, or should spend this, <laughs> or the government should uh, uh, should give you money for this or that, and they and they say absolutely, the government has a lot of money and they should start giving some to us. They have no concept, mm-hmm. they have no understanding of the <laughs> fact that, that the government doesn't have any money. Uh, nope. That uh, that the only money the government has comes from the people, and. Yeah, when you get to that's what we done, like where, I said earlier. Where the, where I think now, I think we passed the point where there was now, uh, I think it was over the 51% mark of uh, of people receiving money from the federal government versus people that didn't. Now, this includes yeah. federal employees and stuff like that, too. Uh, yeah, and, which you know, a lot of that people much are working for their of, Yeah, that's true. They're working for their money, but they're also dependent on the government taking in, uh, you know, large amounts of money for them to keep their jobs and stuff like that. So you have, you absolutely, I think, have like a conflict of interest in the voting. Uh, whenever you're voting issues that are that are deciding on whether or not to limit the size and power of government, when uh, a majority of the nation is dependent on uh, income derived from the government. Hmm. Which is, you know, just taken from other people, taken from producers, right? It's the only way they get it. And I think that's another thing people really don't give a lot of thought to is that, you know, the government only has one power, one real power if you come right down to it, and that's the power of the gun, the power of force, physical compulsion, right? That's all it can do. And then, you know, basically every law is just a threat of force and violence with a condition attached to it, right? If you don't do this, we are going to... You know, either come and get you and throw you in a cage or, you know, take some of your property from you. And, of course, if you resist, you know, we'll we'll uh, do it anyway. We'll do what we have to do, up to and including killing right. you, right? 
So, I mean, that's what a lot of people don't think. They they just so cavalierly support these laws, you know, not thinking that, well, this is a threat of force against my fellow man. You know, they don't, they don't give much thought. Oh, should the government do this or that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're talking about should the government threaten people with force and violence to do this, they don't, they don't think that's what, what's going on. Uh, there's just such a disconnect. And, I mean, until people realize that, and, you know, people don't, they wouldn't do that on their own, in their own personal lives. If you ask, you know, would you threaten your neighbor for, uh, you know, if you say, oh, you, you could name any number of things. If his, you know, toilet bowl flushes too much water or something like that, would you threaten him with force and violence, you know, if he doesn't go out and fix it? Well, you know, the the government does stuff like that every day, and people don't think of it in those terms. So until people change their thinking and realize that's what we're doing, that's what you're opening up to have someone else do to you when you when you support that type of thing, you, you know, you realize that eventually it's not anyone's self-interest to have this kind of system where everyone victimizes everyone. Everyone can have force and violence threatened against other people just because they don't ha- they don't like it. They don't think someone else should be doing that. Yeah, it's on a whim. That's got to change right. before any of these major issues really get resolved. I think. Well, Mark, how is the uh, how is the the precinct work coming? Have you uh, been back to another meeting, or have you guys uh, had any additional uh, uh, work or anything like that? No, I haven't been to another uh, precinct meeting, and uh, I guess nothing's going to happen. I haven't heard anything, so nothing's going to happen. I right until the next election. We do have a uh, I guess it's called a chairperson. Mm-hmm. In that area, they have our emails, our phone numbers, and they're supposed to keep us updated. But like I said, I've, I haven't received anything yet. And it seems like at least where I live, it's a very small uh, group of people doing this. Yeah. So hopefully, this is, uh, you're talking the uh, Republican Party, right? You're... Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yes, anyway, I went through the same thing here in Oklahoma the past couple election cycles. Uh, I don't know. If, I'm, I'm guessing your party system's pretty. You know, similar to ours here in Oklahoma, where it's you know precinct level, and then you have you know district level, county right. precinct, county district, and then state conventions. Right? You have all these conventions where you elect delegates to the next ones. Right. Yeah. And then you know, at the end of that process, you elect the delegates to the national convention, and uh, you know they're the ones who you know make a lot of big calls. I mean, you know, you elect all your your state's representatives, committee man, committee woman, all that sort of thing. I mean, that's what I meant, though. It, it, this process, I mean, until you really get into it and see how these things run, especially trying to come in as an outsider to try to you know, support something, or when you're not one of the good old boys, you know, when you're not part of the establishment, as it were, you know, you really start to see how these people really don't like new people coming in and being involved. I don't know. I'm I'm just telling you how it was when I, from what I saw. And, I mean, I went all the way up to the National Convention here in Tampa back in uh, – 2012, and I mean, you had people doing everything they could, whether it was within the rules or not, to try to keep some of these people out who they didn't want in their party. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty shocking to someone who's, you know, had never been to something like that before. Wow. In fact, I got kicked out wow. of that Republican National Convention in, in 2012. You did? Yeah. Why did you get kicked out? <laughs> well... I was elected as a delegate at the Oklahoma State Convention. It was a pretty contested convention, you know, to put it mildly. 
the uh, the chairman of the convention was running it against the party rule, against the actual rule of procedure, right? And so, you know, some of the, the elections were done without any any. Uh, yeah, they basically were not binding on on, and they just hammered through their establishment slate of candidates of, of uh, delegates to the national convention. Well, it, we ended up splitting in two and having a separate convention out in the parking lot to that went by the rules and actually the correct procedures and elected delegates, you know, we formed a quorum out there. We had enough of us to do it. And I was one of those delegates. So you had these kind of competing slates, one that was done just kind of hastily rushed through by the establishment and one that, you know, we tried to go by the rules. And ultimately, you know, we all ended up going to Tampa to hash it out there in front of the rules committee. And, you know, of course, the good old boys on the national rules committee sided with uh, and, of course, at that time, it was Romney. You know, They just wanted this to be a big coronation ceremony for Romney. So anyone who wasn't a Romney delegate or anything like that, they just tried to keep out. I mean, never mind that they already had it totally in the bag. They had enough votes, no problem to nominate Romney. That's not even an issue there. I mean, we were just trying to go to draw a little bit of, uh, you know, support our guy and then, you know, draw a little bit of uh, you know, publicity to our philosophy. You know, it's, it's part of, you know, the pro-liberty wing of the Republican Party. So, I mean, it was just, it was wild to see just how how much influence these, these people have who have held these positions for years and how effective they are at keeping new people out and keeping control of this organization. And you, you really start to see why it always ends up being a lesser of two evil situation in the, in the general election. Wow. I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, Maybe the, your mileage will vary down there in, in Texas, but that has definitely been my experience in the political process. Well, yeah, if I you're going to be enough of it yet. <laughs> well, you're going to see this everywhere. You're going to see no matter where you go, you're going to see this everywhere. And but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't throw ourselves into the battle and try and and try and make. The change. I think folks like uh, like Rachel Malone's program, the Texas Firearms Freedom, is a great program because she's not only willing to help with uh, the two-way stuff. If you have questions about how to get involved uh, uh, down the, the lowest levels, how to get involved, how to insert yourself into the program, she's more than willing to help you uh, by providing the information, guiding you in, uh, in through the process, holding your hand through it. And uh, one of the best ways to get started, I would suggest, is for you to go ahead and sign up to her site, and that's Texas Firearms Freedom, www.texasfirearmsfreedom, and uh, subscribe to her newsletter. And then if you have questions about this, if you want to get involved, then contact Rachel. Like I said, she's, she's really sharp on this, and she will help you get involved. The, this is uh, Rachel who? Uh, her name is Rachel Malone. Uh, oh, okay, she's yeah, actually, I was uh, the Rachel I've met down at Running Gun down there. That's right. That's that right. Rachel now on the staff with us. Okay, uh, well, that's great. I didn't so, know she was, uh, had a firearms lobby or anything like that. That's great. Yep, and uh, and she does a great job. Uh, I would become, uh, I would get uh, a membership in your state firearms organizations, something like here in mm-hmm. Texas we have the Texas State Rifle Association, TSRA. And uh, and from my research and discussions with, with different groups and with my involvement in TSRA, I found that 
uh, the Texas State Rifle Association is really one of the most hardest, one of the hardest working groups, most effective groups, right behind uh, NRA and stuff like that. They've got a a really hardcore group of folks that are constantly working to yeah, safeguard our Second them. Amendment freedoms and liberties. I mean, they're they are yeah, a great hardcore a, group. We have a great group here in Oklahoma, OK2A, Oklahoma Second Amendment organization, and they do the same thing. I will say, you know, uh, you know, don't. I, I mean, as, as much of a bummer as my comments on that uh, political process may be, you know, really it comes down to it. Voting is one of the least effective things you can do, right? If you really want to have an effect on, you know, the laws that are made and you know how much of your liberty you get to keep, right? <laughs> the best thing you can do is to get involved in some of these organizations that are putting pressure on these politicians. I mean, that's who you right. pay attention to. Or these these interest groups, right? The people who are are capable of making or breaking their campaigns, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Voting, once you're up to the higher levels, doesn't have that much of an effect, because like we were talking about earlier, you know, once once you, once you, if you wait it until you get to general election and stuff, you're, you're done. You're already, it's, everything's already done. If you're going to vote, you got to make sure you're voting down at the, in your primaries, your city councils, uh, all of that stuff, your county elections, all the stuff like that, because that's where you're feeding the uh, you're you're feeding the beast and feeding stuff into the beast. <laughs> there, that's where that's where you've got to to do the work. Now, once you once you get up to the higher levels, it's not the voting. I mean, well, I mean, it is. It's the threat of turning voters against a sitting. Uh, politician. That's the power that the uh, larger organizations, NRA, TSRA, and stuff like that, that's the power that they wield. Because mm-hmm. the the representatives, uh, they're, they're absolutely unafraid of any type of, uh, you know, people are talking about uh, uh, using, uh, using their power as firearms owners, as uh, uh, as a threat to the government, the government is completely unafraid of that. They they believe me. They've got they've got uh, you know uh, plenty of stuff. Uh, your representatives are not afraid that uh, you know that a uh, hundred thousand of his constituents have firearms. It doesn't bother anybody. I don't know. They they all ultimately have to go home and sleep in their beds at night. You know that's. Uh, I think well, what you know, I'm they're more afraid of not, they're not afraid of them. Of, I mean, they're, they're, they're not afraid I, of them as armed deterrents. They're afraid right. of them as voters who will cause them to lose their feather beds uh, that they've managed to make for themselves in their their political offices, their their uh, you know their golf junkets, their Pensions, everything else. That's where the power comes from from the uh, from the larger groups. Uh, yeah. And well, the issue of uh, being a member of those groups is very important. Yeah. yeah, you know they don't fear the uh, individual too much either. You know, it's it's you know these groups, right? It's, it's all about the diffuse costs and concentrated benefits. You know, they know that well, they can spread the cost of all these government programs or whatever they want to do over everyone. Everyone just pays that little chunk, right? And then they can concentrate the benefits on these few groups who they want to help out, who they know can, you know, 
is going to be in their interest and then you know, scratch their back again, right? So it, well, it comes I down think... to there's so many threats from so many directions for just the individual to say, oh, man, I, you know, I, I'm against this, I'm against this. They're taking my money little by little, but no no single one is big enough to be for you willing to actually put out the effort it takes to to do much about it. Right. Whereas these groups, they have the benefits so concentrated, you know, these lobbies. I mean, that's really, I mean, if you're going to operate in the political arena, that is really about the only way you can to have some major impact by getting into I'd like to talk for a minute about the, uh, about the impact that that the media has on our nation because hey Mike uh, before you do that I have to leave anyhow uh, y'all take care be safe Uh, Daniel y'all have a uh, safe and successful run up there and I'll see you very much God bless you both take care all right thank you very much Mark hey yeah Mark did you leave no no I'm still here okay before you go let's uh uh, we told we told them about the Oklahoma run again. Let's real quickly give them the dates for uh, the Battle Road event, the upcoming Battle Road event. That's going to be October the 11th uh, this year, and uh, it's on our website, BattleRoadUSA.com. Go to the main page, uh, click on events, and you should see, I believe it's Zombie Run or Zombie Biathlon. Anything that says Zombie, click on that. And it's going to bring up the screen with our dates for the next, uh, I believe, two years. And uh, yeah. if you haven't uh, signed up for it yet, if you're interested in going, check it out. We have a course of fire on there uh, highlighted as well. And also keep an eye on that course of fire because I know, Mike, you've been talking about changing parts of the course. And I'm excited. I can't wait to see what you have planned up your sleeve. But, uh, yeah. Uh, well, but anyhow, got, hey, uh, I, I've got a roll. Y'all take care. Okay. Right, you I too. And while we're on that subject, let me add, as someone who's been down to that running gun, they put on a, a, a fantastic event. I mean, they worked so hard to put this together. You know, I've helped out as a range officer and, you know, run the course too. And it, they, I mean, they really put together some great stages that test you under a variety of different situations, ranges, types of shooting. I mean, it's, it's a really well put together event, and it's just, you know, more fun than – then you really have any idea of what it could be until you show up and try it out. You know, so definitely. Well, we're we're trying to pick it we're out. trying to get we're trying to get the the event to kind of mature as we go along. We're learning more, and we want to uh, to take the people who have been coming with us. We got we the majority of the folks that attend these events are folks that come back year after year. And uh, we got people started in the events, you know, with some very easy general uh, shooting stages and stuff like that. And now, uh, well, I mean, we're not we're, we're not going crazy, but we're we're going to we're slowly starting to mature, and we're going to try and take the shooting stages and stuff with us. And by that, I mean that uh, uh, where before you came to a shooting stage, say it was a pistol stage, and. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're gonna we're still gonna have the uh, the obstacles and stuff right before the the stage, like uh, like the stage three, uh, yeah. where you have to uh, you have to climb over. Piles. Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of log piles, including a big uh, you know five foot in diameter uh, pecan tree uh, <laughs> log, and then you have to go through a uh, you know a long set of uh, of tires and then low crawl, uh, you know, yeah, under a, uh, 
couple of hills you got to climb. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then you come through the shooting stage, and all you have to do is, uh, you know, on the shooting stage previously is just, it's just uh, move from, uh, from one position to another through five different stages, and uh, and you you know it's just pretty wide open. Make a make a really uh, close shot, about the ten meter. Uh, you know, shot at the, the the most distance. It's more like uh, you know eight to eight to ten meter shot, and uh, just a very on a on a human size silhouette, and then move to the next position and do the same. And uh, and this next event uh, will be adding in uh, some more tasks for you because we want you to we want you to keep growing and keep uh, developing your skills. So this one will be. Uh, uh, this coming year, the stage three will be uh, a little bit more sophisticated. So you'll you'll still do uh, obstacles on the way in to get your you know your blood pressure up a little bit, but then you'll have to shoot uh, uh, with your off hand. If you're right-handed, you'll have to shoot with your left hand uh, yeah. through the middle of the course. You'll be having to you'll have to be carrying uh, a uh, a container that has a, like a five-gallon uh, plastic uh, jug that has about two or three gallons of liquid in it, so that okay. uh, you can only shoot with one hand. Because in real life, that may be what you're having to do. You may have your groceries in one yeah. hand, and, you're, and you could drop them, but maybe you got a baby or in your hand. Now, uh, I would advise getting in a gunfight with a baby, but you may not. You may not have any choice. Uh, there may be there's mm-hmm. hundreds of reasons you could have only one hand. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, make you shoot with uh, with one hand while you're carrying something in the other hand. We're gonna make you shoot with your strong hand, with your weak hand. We're gonna make you shoot around uh, obstacles, and uh, we'll be doing mm-hmm. the same thing with uh, with rifles. You'll be doing shooting with your uh, from your strong side, from your weak side. Uh, when you get to another stage, uh, like you're there at the shoot house, that stage will uh, will all be hostage targets. That means you'll have to ah. you'll have to uh, you'll have to make sure that you're gauging your time so that you're staying uh, fast enough on your shooting to keep up a good score push yourself beyond your limitations and you and you start hitting the hostages and that's going to strip away that time from you. Yeah. So these will be these steel, these steel hostage targets where you'll have uh, the one head uh, showing right next to the other and you'll have all the way from maybe five inches of the uh, of the uh, uh, hostage taker's head all down to two inches of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you'll have to shoot like uh, five or six <laughs> targets like that. So we're trying to get the we're trying to to mature as far as what we're asking you to do the tasks that we're asking you to do in these stages. So I hope that folks will uh, I hope that folks will enjoy it. Now and and while we've made sure that we're not, we're not making it so difficult that new shooters can't do it, you can do it. You may not do it good enough yeah. to uh, to take first place, but even a new shooter can do it. Now as far as Right, you don't give them a taste of some techniques that they may not be familiar with, right? Some things that they may want to look into developing their skills on. Right, but uh, but as far as uh, it, well, both of the uh, all of the events, the uh, 
the Oklahoma event, the Battle Road event, Texas event, none of these events are events for people with no shooting skills or people that are just learning. Uh, nope. This isn't a place for you to learn how to shoot. And we're not going to teach you, and you're going to need uh, your basic skills just to get through it. So so don't think yeah. that uh, that you can come without without some skills. But you don't have to be, uh, you know, a slick operator to go through it either, all right? So we'll talk about the, the media just for, a, just for a minute because the media uh, is a horrible problem in our nation right now. Uh, all the media has become just as partisan as the political parties. And and this is a horrible problem because the media originally was supposed to give you just the fact. It's supposed to tell you what happened without them uh, adding in coloring it due to how they feel about something. Now, you always had the ability for, for people to do that, but in a separate option, like as the uh, – uh, the editorial opinions and stuff like that. People could write that, but that was always separated from the actual facts, and uh, and it has become right. less. You know, you had uh, political parties running newspapers, things like that. You know, you, you expect a certain slant, right? But you know, now I, I guess you're saying you have people that pose as being balanced. And Right. You get a lot of people that are still getting their news from the mainstream media that is that is withholding, uh, going all the way from just uh, from merely poor reporting to actual uh, unethical, uh, which is uh, withholding information or coloring it, uh, or even to outright uh, to outright fraud uh, and lying. And we've had uh, several of the recent, uh, recently several of the major uh, reporters and agencies uh, that have that have done outright uh, lying and fraud, uh, and they've gotten caught at it. And uh, but it goes on every single day, uh, and this is a huge problem for Americans. Now, granted, we have the ability now with the Internet and stuff like that. We have the ability for you to go, if you will take the time, you can go and you can search out uh, a, a lot better uh, ways for you to get your information. Oh, yeah. That's what gives me some but, hope about this whole situation. It's so, it's, it's so much harder to control the agenda now with the Internet. Of course, the worry right. I would have is that, you know, with the Internet, you can completely selectively choose what information you're getting. And there's so many people who just purely get their information and news from sources that have a slant that they agree with. And they never get right. anything and outside of that. They don't challenge themselves. That's the, the downside to it, of course. But that's the problem right definitely there. Overall, it's a, it's a good thing. Right. It's, overall, it's a good thing for people that want to find out the truth then they can search for it, and they can find it. It takes a bit of work, though, but you can do it. However, like you said, uh, the the Internet uh, is no different than mainstream media as far as uh, if you decide that you want to just hear one viewpoint, uh, 
you want to just look at one place, like uh, if you want to look at just the Huffington Post, you're, you're going to get a completely slanted idea in the same way that if you just go to a place like uh, InfoWars and you read them, and you're yeah. just going to get a slanted opinion on what's going on. Exactly. You need to make sure that you're checking multiple sites. And I also look at, uh, uh, at foreign reporting uh, of events in America yeah. because I want to hear what they have to say about it because most of the time the foreign stations don't have any dog in the hunt. Uh, if they have yeah, somebody... they have some very different perspectives on things. Right, if they have somebody covering the information... Uh, there's a good chance that uh, that it's not going to get as much of a slant as if you have someone who is uh, uh, is connected to a party or something like that. Yeah. Very good point. Well, there is, uh, uh, you know, before I did the show tonight, I read a lot of information about it, and I read a lot of uh, folks' opinions. Uh, about stuff going on in America, what to do about it, how to fix it. And uh, there wasn't anyone that uh, that had a that had a good answer. People had suggestions and stuff, but the consensus among the majority of folks writing about it said that uh, as far as they could see, as far as they could tell, change uh, on its own or even uh, by the uh, by, the power of the few people that are involved, uh, trying to exert uh, some type of change on the system, that uh, the system is only going to change in the way that it normally does, and that is whenever it completely breaks down. All right. Mm-hmm. So on that note, let me uh, end it up tonight with telling you that uh, when that happens you're going to need to make sure that you and your family are taken care of. So I urge you to begin developing a some type of plan and implementing that plan as far as preparing to take care of your family through any type of natural or man-made disaster, any type of cessation of services event, uh, so that... Uh, <laughs> So that if uh, bread goes up to uh, $500 a loaf, uh, that you already have uh, some food set aside, uh, maybe a, a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a year's worth of food, so that you can use that food to feed your family and use the other the money that you have left to pay whatever bills you have, uh, I strongly urge you to begin now. And I've told you uh, over and over again on this on this program that, you don't have to. It doesn't. You don't have to wait. Say, I'm going to wait until I have uh, uh, five thousand dollars so I can buy a year's worth of food for for two people from Mountain House or something like that. You don't wait for that. Start uh, tomorrow. Go to the store and buy uh, uh, an extra thing of rice or an extra can of beans tomorrow, and start putting this stuff away and do it in a. If you want to. If you want more information about it, there are tons of places you can get it. Uh, Survival Podcast uh, is a great place, along with their forums and stuff. This radio show, we we do shows uh, probably once a month on uh, prepping and uh, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, but I urge you 
to start right now because there's never been a time in history when uh, when folks have not been hit with something, with either a natural or man-made disaster, uh, some type of temporary cessation of services. And the best way for you to get through that is not by having a cardboard sign uh, tied around your neck and standing on top of your house uh, waving the sign around that says, Save me. The best way is for you to start planning now on how you're going to take care of yourself and your family yourself, how you are going to do it, all right? So get started with Absolutely. that program right now. Continue to watch the show or listen to the show, and uh, we'll give you our best information on how to do that uh, also. Uh, I want to thank everybody uh, who is listening tonight. I'm still working on the uh, on the newsletter and on the uh, the mail outs for the show. I'll, I'll eventually get that fixed, but until then, uh, our shows will the pocket the the shows normally held every Thursday uh, seven to nine p.m. And uh, guys uh, listening in, if you have any anything that you would like uh, for me to cover, and you're welcome to uh, drop me a line. Uh, you can do it through the radio show or through the uh, the Battle Road website, uh, www.battleroadusa.com. Uh, you can send me a, a email at mike at battleroadusa.com, and uh, we'll try to cover the subjects uh, that you guys uh, feel are important. All right, uh, Daniel, thanks uh, for uh, for devoting some time to, to us tonight. And, uh, oh, hey, thanks, thank you for letting me. With uh, your running gun. And, uh, and uh, we'll, keep, uh, we'll keep in contact with you because we want you to keep coming on and, uh, and talking about it. And, uh, call, so call into the show anytime about it. Oh, I'd love to. And I that will be the opportunity uh, to July get up 19th. on your soapbox here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks for indulging my uh, comments on thank, uh, economics. And... <laughs> Sorry. Right. Sorry. I want to thank uh, Sam D. Uh, every time I'm here, Sam D. is here. And uh, I wouldn't be able to do the show without him. Okay. You guys take yeah, care. Thanks, Sam. And uh, we'll see you next uh, 7 p.m. Until then, God bless you all. Yeah.